we pair each student with an animal, and that animal becomes basically the patient for that student for the semester. The shelters know that we're going to help those animals, and so they often bring us their sick, their injured, that mm-hmm. need some additional help that would help them get adopted. I'm Phil Hatterman, and this is Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today on Dog Words, we visit with Dr. Chris Morrow, the director of the Veterinary Technology Program at MCC Maple Woods in Kansas City. And we share some advice on facing what may be your dog's most feared nemesis. In each episode of Dog Words, we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We save each other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us. And they already do a lot. If you love dogs, you'll love this podcast. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. Use your favorite podcast service to subscribe, rate, and share dog words. This helps us with sponsorships. Then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. And please check out the archived episodes. On our last episode, we interviewed wellness advocate Stacy Case about essential oils for dogs. Our offer still stands for anyone who wants the recipe for the essential oils shampoo that we use with peaches. Just request it by sending an email to rosyfund at gmail.com or use the contact form at rosyfund.org. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. Today on Dog Words, we are excited to welcome Dr. Chris Morrow, Director of the Veterinary Technology Program at MCC Maple Woods. Welcome to the show, Chris. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Full disclosure, my wife and I both used to work at that campus. I was somewhat involved with the Veterinary Technology Program. She was much more involved with the Veterinary Technology Program, so we both know a little bit about it. But that was years ago. It's changed a lot. The facilities, the offerings, everything are very amazing. So we're going to get to that in a moment. But first, let's talk a little bit more about you. You are a veterinarian. When did you know you were going to be a veterinarian? About the age of, uh, what, second grade, was when I first knew I, that's what I wanted to do. We had animals around the house my entire life. I grew up on a on a farm, and so animals were just a way of life. The uh, big thing that I liked to do was uh, I was fascinated with surgery, and so I liked animals. I loved surgery. I always found it fascinating. Anytime I saw the veterinarian come out to the farm and do anything surgical, I was just amazed and loved what I saw. I, too, grew up on a farm and saw firsthand what veterinarians do in that environment. There's probably a lot of second graders who think, I want to be a veterinarian, but probably aren't living in an environment where they have a realistic view of what that entails. That wasn't the case with you. No, no. You knew what you were getting into. I got to see it firsthand, and and, uh, even nowadays, what I love is, you know, when we grew up, we had Saturday morning cartoons. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, if you turn on the TV on Saturday mornings, it's all veterinary shows. So all of those young kids, second grader and any age growing up, they actually get to see what veterinarians are doing in real life. And it's, I think it's wonderful. You started your veterinarian track at about eight years old. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I did. 
eventually going to, where did you go to school for your degree? Yeah, I started actually, my undergraduate degree was in Warrensburg, Missouri. At that time, it was called Central Missouri State University. Now it's called uh, University of Central Missouri. But I did my undergraduate studies there. Mm -hmm. So I did three years of coursework there and then was accepted into the veterinary college at University of Missouri, Columbia. You can't just go anywhere to get a degree as a veterinarian to get your doctorate. But even then, there are a few schools that are known for that. And that's one of the things that University of Missouri is known for, that and journalism. Correct. Yes. And actually, there's at that time, there was only 28 veterinary schools in the country. So there was not a lot to choose from. Was that your first choice, not to put you on the spot? That was my first choice. They've, so, they've actually got a, one of the better programs. You're, you're right. I'm very much a hands-on a person who likes working with the animals. Mm -hmm. And uh, University of Missouri Veterinary School actually has a program that's two years of classwork and laboratory work, and then two years of clinical work where you're actually working with the animals. And so I I love that that model. And actually use a lot of that model in our veterinary technology program that I'm involved with now. When did you become involved with the veterinary technology program? Uh, I started with the veterinary technology program in 2005. Uh, they uh, invited me to come in and, and visit with them. I had been working with their students for numerous years. I was a veterinarian actually in Blue Springs, Missouri, and then veterinarian in Liberty, Missouri, and uh, had worked with their students. And uh, actually, it was the students that recommended me to the program director at that time and said, hey, you need to really interview this doctor. He's He's been helpful to us. And, and so I got a call of saying, have you ever thought of teaching, which I hadn't, not in a formal setting, and uh, went in and visited with uh, Dr. Carol Maltby, mm -hmm. who was the program director at that time. And she encouraged me to, to interview and apply, and I did. And uh, they uh, asked me to join them in 2005. I'm sure you appreciate the vote of confidence that would come with Dr. Maltby's recommendation because that program was her baby. It was. That she would not take that transition lightly. Yes. So I, I hope you feel the honor that was bestowed on you by her, her choosing you. Yes. Since Dog Words is for dog lovers, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have been to veterinary clinic and have interactions with veterinary technicians, but I'm not sure all of them understand what exactly defines a veterinary technician? What is their role? The role of the veterinary technician is very diverse. If you can imagine a human nurse, a dental hygienist, a, an ophthalmology technician, a pharmacy technician, ultrasound technician, radiology technician, all rolled into one role, that is really what our veterinary technician is. It is uh, a licensed professional that has had intense training. They have to pass board exams to become licensed. And they really know quite a bit of medicine as far as nursing care and, and assisting and helping the doctors. I've had many experiences uh, at different vet clinics with vet technicians in Kansas City. Every one of them that I've worked with has been a graduate of the Maple Woods program. It has a wide reach about how many students do you have a year? We've got around 60 students at a time in the program. It's a two-year program, so we usually have about 30 students in each year. So it's 60 students all together at a time. The program's been going on, though, since 1973. For decades, we've had uh, graduates that have been working here in the uh, community. It's not unusual to find 
a graduate that's working in the Kansas City region. We actually have students and graduates that are throughout Kansas and Missouri. It's great to provide the industry with the, the workforce needs it needs. When you say the industry, what does that include beyond what we see in your typical clinic? We've got a little over 250 veterinary clinics across Missouri and Kansas that we work with to provide graduates for. You've also got the Kansas City Animal Health Corridor. The Kansas City Animal Health Corridor is basically 70, I think we're at 70 or 75 percent of the world's animal health industries right here in Kansas City, which that means we've got a lot of pet nutrition companies, pet pharmaceutical companies, companies that are doing medical research and trying to find new ways to keep pets healthy and happy, all located right here in Kansas City. And so we've got not only veterinary clinic positions or hospital positions, but we've also got the industry positions as well for veterinary technicians. Great news for the employability of someone with that background. I would bet most people in Kansas City don't know that stat you just gave, that 75% of the world's part of that industry is in Kansas City. That's, that's stunning. It is. It's, it's wonderful to have. It's just it's amazing that Kansas City has really just uh, stepped up. I would say the Kansas City Emma Health Corridor, it was probably about uh, 14, 13 or 14 years ago when that started. And at that time, we were at about 40 to 50% of the world's animal health industry. Hollywood does not have 75% of the world's movie production. No, no. And so not we, even close. We, uh, it's, it's been growing. Everybody is, the word's out. Kansas City is a great location. Uh, not only do we have wonderful football teams and baseball teams, mm-hmm. but we've got a, a corridor of excellence in animal health care right here. Which would not happen if we couldn't supply the workforce. Correct. So MCC Maplewoods is a big part of that. Before we get to more about what's involved in getting through the program, what is required in general to get into the program? How competitive is it? What are the uh, educational requirements and what other requirements might there be? Yeah, so to apply to the program, we ask that students have kind of a good foundation in biology or zoology, the study of animal science. Mm-hmm. Also, chemistry. And the reason is biology, zoology, and chemistry, that is a foundation for medicine. And so in the program, everything is about medicine, medical care and health. We actually have that as a prerequisite class. We ask that students take zoology and chemistry. We also ask that they take English. Uh, Writing is very important. All of our animals come with humans that love them and and want to know about them. And so Mm -hmm. we always have to do written Correspondence, written communication is very important. That's our prerequisites for the program. After that, we actually interview the students. We have applications every year. April 1st is actually the deadline for applications, and we do that because really we're all fools for animals, so Mm -hmm. we did it on April Fool's Day. And we average about 60 to 90 applications a year for the vet tech program. We interview the top 60 applicants. And we do that because we've only got enough spots for about 30 to 32 students in the program. We have to interview the top applicants, pick those 30 or 32, and they come into the program. It's a two-year program. Once they graduate from us, they take a national board exam. They pass that national board exam. Then they take a state board exam. And then they are basically a registered veterinary technician, which is a licensed professional with the state. 
Medical board. Any listeners frustrated by the timing of this broadcast thinking, April 1st deadline, why didn't you run this sooner? If we'd have done this a few weeks sooner or a month sooner, that would not have been enough time for someone to meet all the requirements for that deadline. You need to be thinking a year or two out to take all those classes and to spend the time getting to know what's expected of you as a veterinary technician. Because having been someone who was part of the committee that would review applications, there would be some, just as I talked about you as a second grader and me as a second grader, we had a pretty good idea of what was involved in being a veterinarian. We would get applications from people for whom it was clear they had no idea what a veterinary technician was. They thought, oh, I'm, I get to play with puppies and people bring in their puppy. And they almost like a groomer is what they're picturing who right. uh, got to tell people that your dog had six puppies in the litter and not being aware of the emotional part of being a veterinary technician, being aware of the ability to perform in a crisis that is often part of it. I have had to take dogs in on multiple occasions who were in need of immediate care and there's blood and all kinds of things that can be a distraction. And if that's going to throw you off your game, veterinarian and veterinary technician is not a career for you. You're right. Veterinary technicians and veterinarians are both, it's a, it's a medical profession and you need to respond basically to an emergency to a surgical procedure, to vaccination, routine, annual visit. You have to be very open to the casual, but also be prepared for the emergencies that happen. It is truly a medical field. Sometimes we're challenged in that it's sometimes a little harder than the human field. We have to learn all the medications, all the procedures for multiple species and know how to do all of it. And so And species who can't tell you where it hurts. Not at all. It's definitely a game of mystery. You have to to use your your knowledge, your skills, and your combination of both knowledge and skills to find out what's going on with those animals and how to help them the best way. And that's why it's also a team approach. In veterinary medicine, working with animals, we always have to work as a team to be able to do what we need to with the animals. That's why we usually have a team of a doctor with a veterinary technician We'll even have a veterinary assistant that may be helping that that technician or that doctor as well. It's a team approach to to make those happen. That's the thing about uh, you were asking application time. This Mm -hmm. is actually the perfect time to talk about it because actually to do those prerequisite classes, that zoology and that chemistry and that English, you really would need to take it this fall semester so that you could be ready to apply in April, that spring semester. This is a great time to, to be talking about it, for anybody to be planning for it. Part of the application, we do ask that they have some some idea that this is the right field for them. I don't like anybody to, to waste their time or money, so I want to make sure this or is Or take the right a spot field. away from someone else. Exactly. We've got an industry that's definitely in need of veterinary technicians. We've had a 100% employment rate for the last 15 years that I've been involved with the program. <laughs> How many programs and at so any institution can say that? It's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. The need's there. And I think, you know, we talked about how much is here with the Kansas City Alma Health Corridor, the numerous veterinary facilities around here. The fact of the matter is we've just, Kansas City region, we're, we're an area of animal lovers. I mean, if you look at the dog mm-hmm. parks and all of the activities and the events associated with animals, Everybody in this area loves animals, which is a great place to grow up and live and and even work. I love being a veterinarian in this area. Not many 
Communities can boast a facility like the Animal Campus for Casey Pet Project and the entertainment facility at Barcade Dog Bar down at uh, Berkeley uh, Riverfront Park. You're right. This is a city that shows its love for animals and all the opportunities to trail ride and all kinds of animal interaction. We do ask the students know that they, they want to come into the field. And then we do that by either they're working in a veterinary facility where they get the opportunity to see a veterinarian or a veterinary technician and working and, and say, yes, I truly want to be that role as a career. Or if they're not working in a veterinary facility already, we ask that they do observation time and, and actually observe a registered veterinary technician to make sure that's the role that they truly want before they apply and, and spend the time and the money on that education. I remember reading some of the uh, essays. Are essays still required? They are. It helps us uh, evaluate your writing skills. Because I remember reading some of those where people would describe the eye-opening experience they would have doing the observation or some of their experiences having worked in a veterinary clinic. It was very clear when someone was sincere, when they were sharing a real opportunity that proved to them, this is what I want to do. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people know what the veterinarian's role is. They don't often know what the veterinary technician role is. And this is also a way that students that say, I know I want to work with animals, but I don't know in what role I would like to work with animals. Spending some time and watching those roles is a real easy way for students to realize I am better prepared for either the veterinary technician route or, yes, I want to do surgery and be that veterinarian. It depends on what they like. There's pros and cons to both career fields, and so having students take that time to to actually watch and observe, it helps them decide the right career path. If someone wants to know more about the application process, I'm sure they can find that online. Where do they need to go? We have actually a website at mccc.edu, and then you do backslash vet tech, V-E-T, T-E-C-H. So again, that's mccc.edu backslash vet tech. And I'll also put that link in this description. So so there's two options. You can write down what Dr. Morrow is saying, (laughs) or you can click on the link in the description, whichever is easiest for you. And, And I've got the website set up for everybody to have easy access. On the website, they can pick what they may be interested in. So it says future veterinarians, future veterinary technician, future veterinary assistants, future veterinary receptionists, future practice managers, all of that's on there. And so they can actually click, find out what each education pathway looks like for those different careers. And those are all tracks that they can start at the Maple Woods campus of the Metropolitan Community Colleges. They can actually start all of those at any of our five campuses and online. And with the general education requirements, you can do that at any accredited institution. Correct. Correct. Yeah. We actually have students from the the former higher ed employee comes out all over. I love it. Yeah. So we have, we have students from all across the country that come in. The reason I say that Maple Woods being around for so long and under some great leadership of, we talked about Carol Maltby, Dr. Mm -hmm. Maltby. She did a great job with the growing the program, starting the program and the quality of graduate has been superb. We actually evaluate it with those board exams that students have to take after they graduate. And our pass rate on the boards is 95 to 100% pass rate for all of our graduates. 
give you some comparison that other programs in the country right now are averaging about 70 to 73% pass rate on that. And uh, we've just, we've figured out really the best way to, to get students to learn and be able to retain that information. My uh, first exposure to the vet tech program at Maple Woods, and maybe some people in Kansas City don't even know where Maple Woods is at. It's in the Northland. It's off of Berry Road, about halfway between I-29 and Liberty. 2601 Northeast Berry Road is the actual address. The original facility was in what was called Agnes House. And the reason it was called Agnes House is because it was in a house on Agnes Street, a residential house, a brick house. And we have a brick from that house in the building we're sitting in right now doing this interview because that house was eventually... Is it completely gone? It is completely it's gone. It's completely gone. Unfortunately, due to um, age and basically destruction of time, it actually needed to come down, and so they took it down. That in itself was impressive that that facility was able to have 60 students working on their veterinary technology program and, and housing the animals that are part of that program. Now there's a facility that was built specifically for this purpose. Correct. That, that um, I, I hope your students appreciate. <laughs> Do you ever have uh, someone visit who was at the old program, like an older veteran, veterinary technician come we, in? and We do. Actually, I had a, a graduate from the first class that graduated in 1975 come in and take a tour. And, yeah, it's just amazing. I've actually got instructors that were students that went through Agnes. And they share the stories. The classroom was the living room. Mm-hmm. And the laboratory area was the kitchen area. Because mm-hmm. of the plumbing. Yep. And the, the back bedrooms had the x-ray in one and had the dental equipment in the other. And the basement was the, the kennels for all the animals. So it was a good use of the house. Even though we say it's a house, at that time it was the first solid structure. Back in 1973, it was the first solid structure on the Maplewoods campus. The other buildings were temporary. They were temporary for a long time. Kwanzaa huts. Yeah, yeah. but they were not. Uh, yeah. And people who've lived in the Northland for more than 20 years or so probably remember those buildings that you could see from Barry Road. Those brown Quonsets look like little military barracks. But now it's, yeah, it's a beautiful campus with the brick buildings, and your building matches the uh, architectural style of the campus. It fits in, but it's set apart. You can't see it from the road. You kind of have to know where it's at there on the, on the south side of campus. You mentioned the kennels that were in Agnes House. You have kennels in the new house that have, or the new building. It's not a house. <laughs> you have kennels now because you're working on live animals. We do. We do. The the great part about the program is we basically put students in a real life situation. And so we actually adopt dogs and cats from local shelters. We work with about anywhere from six to eight humane society and animal shelters in the Kansas city region. And what we do is we actually adopt dogs and cats every semester from those shelters. We bring them in. We've got indoor outdoor runs for the dogs. So they've got plenty of room, plenty of space. They have nicer living facilities than probably Almost any, I'm not going to say any, but almost any shelter that they're coming from. We try to make it comfortable. It's an upgrade. We try to make it comfortable, yes. The cats have what we call cat condos as well. And so, again, we try to make them very comfortable while they're there. 
the shelters know that we're going to try to help those animals. And mm-hmm. so they often, this is not a research situation. No. So people are pic- picturing vivisection. No, this is your take. I'll let you tell the story. What, what happens to these animals after you get them from the shelter? Sure. So for the students, first day of class, when they're walking in the front door, the shelters are bringing the animals in the back door. And so we've got an animal flow in one side of the building, student flow inside the other. And what we actually do is we pair each student with an animal. And that animal becomes basically the patient for that student for the semester. The shelters know that we're going to help those animals. And so they often bring us their sick, their injured that Mm -hmm. need some additional help that would help them get adopted. And so we get them healthy students and work with myself and the rest of the medical team. We get them healthy. Once they're healthy, we spay or neuter them. So they don't have to worry about having babies. We clean their teeth. We vaccinate them anything they need for health. We work on it and, uh, we'll actually, the students will socialize. They'll use some of their behavior skills to, to help socialize the animals Students use their nutrition skills to get them to an optimal healthy weight. And we adopt them out free of charge at the end of every semester to the community. And that way, community families get a a good, healthy pet. The pet gets a good, healthy, uh, loving family. And uh, the students got a great opportunity to to help the life of a a pet. And uh, they learned all their their skills and their knowledge and, and basically the process we would have to do anyhow. I'm guessing you don't have a lot of trouble finding homes for those those dogs and cats. No, we've got just like our employment rates 100%, our adoption rates 100% as well. So it's a great fix for the animals and the students both. Do you market that at all or are the animals pretty much spoken for by the time you get to the end of the semester? Sometimes we do. We've got the animals that are up for adoption are on our website. So the community can see that which animals we have every semester. We've also got flyers that we put up. Across all of our campuses, we've got TV screens that will showcase the animals that are up for adoption, and really word of mouth as well. Uh, a lot of people have adopted from us through the years and, and know that we're trying to help all the animals out there, and so word of mouth has been a great resource. Something you don't get from a lot of shelters is an adoptable pet that has a three-month bio from someone who's spent quality time with that animal. No matter how many volunteers a shelter has, a dog and cat are not getting the attention that they're getting from your students who are paired with an animal. Yeah. Well, actually, we try not to do any adoption visits the first month that the animals are with us. We want to make sure those dogs and cats have time to acclimate. We get some time to socialize them, get them through any fear or anxiety they may have. And we learn their behavior, their personalities before we start doing any adoption appointments. So that student can definitely tell a potential adopter what this dog's personality is like and make sure it's a good fit for the adopter and the adoptee. Yeah, that's our goal. We want it to be a good fit for everybody. So again, anyone who's interested in knowing more about the MCC Maplewoods Veterinary Technology Program and the different tracks that are available or applying, you can go to the vet tech page at mccc.edu slash vet tech. Click on the link in the description. I don't even know why I repeated it. I should have just said <laughs> click on the link in the description. I feel like we have so much more we can talk about. Can you come back sometime and we'll cover other topics related to 
veterinary medicine and vet tech and the animal health corridor? I'd be happy to. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Chris Morrow, the director of the Veterinary Technology Program at MCC Maple Woods. Today in our tips and tricks, we have some advice from Dogs Trust for dealing with what some dogs consider to be the biggest threat to their household, the vacuum cleaner. And let's face it, if you have a dog, you may need to use your vacuum frequently, and you don't want this regular activity to be a stressful experience for your dog, or for you. Peaches has no thoughts on vacuums, unless one's making noise while she's trying to sleep. Then she's just annoyed. There doesn't seem to be any fear or aggression. Rosie, on the other hand, retreated as far as she could from this roaring intruder. So whether it's fear or aggression, you want to help your dog learn not to stress out when it's time to clean. First, introduce the sight of the vacuum cleaner. Enjoy a fun game with your dog with the vacuum cleaner in sight, but switched off. Scatter some treats around it for them to enjoy finding and let them sniff and investigate it if they wish. If they prefer to avoid it, that's fine. Just make sure they have a good time while the vacuum cleaner's there. Next, introduce the noise of the vacuum cleaner. If your dog appears comfortable with that, turn it on. But don't move it so they can get used to the noise and continue to play and or scatter treats or reward them for doing some tricks they know. You want them to get used to the noise and associate it with good things. If your dog is already worried about noises or appears to be very excited by the noise, calmly turn the vacuum off. And that's key. You need to always remain calm. Move the vacuum into a different room and turn it on there so the noise is much quieter while you continue to play with and treat your dog as before. This way they can get used to the noise from a greater distance. Getting them used to the noise first means that if they do struggle with its movement, you can teach them to stay in another room and enjoy a long-lasting treat by themselves. Then you can vacuum knowing they won't be bothered by its noise. Once your dog is comfortable with the sight and the sound of a vacuum, you can introduce the movement. Start by throwing treats away from you for your dog to chase and find as you begin to move the vacuum around slowly and calmly. This will help them get used to doing something very enjoyable while the vacuum cleaner is moving and associate its noise, feel, and movement again with good things. If they seem interested in its movement and try to pounce on it or chase it, then simply stop moving it and distract them away with treats and games. They should be learning that it is much more rewarding to chase their treats than the vacuum cleaner. If your dog hides, stop altogether. Go back to just playing with your dog and treating your dog while the vacuum is motionless but running. Gradually build up to being able to move the vacuum and then moving it for longer periods. Finally, you can encourage your dog to settle down while you're vacuuming. Teach your dog to engage in something really fun all by themselves while you get on with vacuuming the house. Give them a long-lasting food-releasing toy or chew, ideally on their own bed or mat if they have one, and calmly begin to vacuum away from them. By this point, they should have learned that the sight, sound, feel, smell, and movement of the vacuum cleaner means they're likely to get tasty treats. They'll be learning to settle and enjoy themselves while you're busy vacuuming. Make sure that anyone else who may do vacuuming in your house, whether it's a cleaning service or another family member, is aware of this system. So, what if your dog won't move through these stages of training? Maybe it's you. Maybe you aren't being patient enough. Or maybe your dog's just very high strung, and you need to coordinate walks or other outdoor activities for your dog while the vacuuming is being done inside. Also, consider that your dog may have an illness or condition that is aggravated by some aspect of vacuuming. Consult your vet to make sure your dog isn't sick or in any pain, and consider working with a trainer or behaviorist. If you have any tips or tricks for us to share on dog words, use the contact form at rosyfund.org. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Chris Morrow, Director of the Veterinary Technology Program at MCC Maple Woods in Kansas City. 
For more information on the program, including the application process, or to see what cats and dogs are available for adoption, go to mccc.edu slash vettech, or click on the link in the description for this episode. If you'd like the recipe for the essential oil shampoo that we use with peaches, send an email to rosyfund at gmail.com or use the contact form at rosyfund.org. I also want to thank the alternative string duo, The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's episode of Dog Words. Learn more about The Wires at thewires.info and download their music on iTunes. When you visit rosyfund.org for more information about Rosie Fund, please click on the links for Facebook, Instagram, our free YouTube channel, and Amazon Smile, and check out the store in the Rosie Fund Town Square. Download and subscribe to Dog Words on your favorite podcast platform. And please share this podcast. This helps us with sponsorships. Then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions via the website, and let us know if you would like to be a sponsor of the Dog Words podcast. Remember, we save each other. 